This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Hello, Hearts of Oak, and welcome to another interview coming up in a moment with Dr. David Cartland, who's back with us again. And David joins us to discuss his experiences of being investigated over two years now by the General Medical Council, the GMC. It is the regulatory body that investigates doctors' malpractice or failures. And because of initially anonymous reports complaining about his social media profile, he has been investigated. He discusses that process and the GMC of absolute power. They can remove a doctor's ability to practice medicine in the UK. So it is, uh, they are judge and jury, um, like court-martial. We also go into how the NHS silences whistleblowers. He shares some of the stories of his patients that he has seen, vaccine injuries. And we also discuss his difficulty of simply getting a job as a locum in surgeries. Dr. David Cartland, it's wonderful to have you back with us. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thanks for having me, Peter. It's always a pleasure to chat. Good to chat. I think last time you were with me is probably our last video at the end of last year. Time flies past, but it's it's good to have you back. Uh, lots to cover, um, not only about you, but what you see professionally. Um, but if I can at Cartland David on Twitter, uh, that's where you can follow uh, David's uh, many pieces of information put out regularly. So if you're not already following him, do. Although, um, David, you're, you've become quite high profile. Maybe just touch on that. And then before we get onto the, the GMC stuff and, and some of the, the cases you see, but um, w- what is it like to be kind of the voice of reason? Because I guess when you go into profession, you're there as part of the system, you put your head down, you do, the good that you've been trained to do. Um, but it's quite different for you because a lot of doctors now in the media, in the public sphere, talking about uh, what it, what has it been like over the last three years? It's, it's really strange because I get a lot of feedback that I've kind of stuck my head above the parapet and I've, I'm brave and I've got balls of steel or whatever they say. But, you know, I see it as simply my duty to do what I've done. You know, I've said this many times, you know, I've, I've stuck my neck on the line, but really not because I've spoke out about ethical principles of consent, bodily autonomy, not coercing patients to take medical treatments that they aren't being fully informed about, number one, but, you know, that we haven't got any safety data for. You know, defending children and pregnant moms, you know, there was never any rollout data for both cohorts. And so, you know, that's the two easy wins I thought I picked, you know, the, the ethical issues and the, and the pregnancy safety, lack of safety data and the and children and vaccine injuries and speaking out about lockdowns and masks and for doing so, you know, the NHS supposedly supports whistleblowing, they call it a, you know, a learning culture, a no blame culture, you know, let's talk about these things without any blame um, and until you whistleblow. And then, like I found out to my detriment, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of arenas, really, as soon as you whistleblow about concerns that you've, you know, you've got, um, concerns that still to this day remain unanswered you know that's the other thing you know you could easily you know shut me up with some data very easy to to to, to correct my um, blasphemous views on all of this just sit me down and show me the error of my ways and hasn't happened for two and a half days it's been a full like, two and a half years should I say it's been a council culture 
as other people in the arena have found. You know, you look at Andrew Bridgen, all he did was ask for questions and ask to take a closer look at the data. You look at footballers, Matt Letizio, you know, speaking out and saying, look, we need to look at this. this footballers are collapsing left, right and centre. Let's stop. Let's investigate this. Similar to me, I'm just saying, look, this isn't ethically right. This isn't safe. We're not following evidence-based practice here, but... Yeah, to somehow out of all of this become, I, I Googled myself the other day because the surgery, the surgery let me go because they said they'd Googled me. So I thought, let's have five minutes and see what dirt you can come up with when you Google Dave Carlin. And the first thing that comes up is uh, internet personality. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's the surrealness of where we are at the moment in that for somehow doing the job, following my Hippocratic Oath, following principles of safety, evidence-based pra- practice and ethics, um, and these are all GMC guidances as well. You know, I, I keep reminding on Twitter my fellow colleagues of the uh, guides, you know, the, the guidelines that we have, you know, about the duty of candour, whistleblowing ethics, you know, making sure, you know, eth- we're gaining informed consent. These are all enshrined in the GMC. And as we'll talk about later on in the discussion, the GMC, uh, um, they've got some slightly double standards when it comes to, uh, to, to who to go after. I guess there was some point where it went from uh, criticism uh, within the profession, so disagreements with fellow doctors, fellow professionals, to a more bigger investigation and checking up. I mean, how did that step change come? Yeah, where to start with that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it has been kind of, it started off as kind of anonymous reporting. So the first I ever heard of the GMC um, being you know, involved in me was uh, I found it in my junk email box from my NHS mail account saying that there'd been some sort of hearing about me about spreading COVID misinformation and that a decision had been made that there was no case to answer for. This was in April, I think, 2021. It goes all the way back to that. Um, so and that, that was without your input. You just. That was heard. without my knowledge, my input. Um, but even though they found there was no case to answer, they escalated it to um, NHS Performance Advisory Committee. Um, and so you'll see on Twitter, I've posted um, a reflective piece they asked me to do at that point to, you know, explain how I got to my position. And I actually got to present to the GMC at the time as well. Um, not the GMC, NHS PAG, PAG committee and their six doctors. Um, so I had the floor for about an hour, went through data, my concerns, um, and with specific reference to the reflective piece that I posted. Um, and, you know, at the very end, I just, I just said to them, any any comment, any information on what you know, any, any rebuttal to what I presented. And they just said, look, we're not here to discuss the content of your um, views on COVID. We're here to discuss, and it was a really strange comment they made. They said, we're here to discuss your mental health, your fitness to practice, and your fitness for purpose. I always remember that comment, fitness for purpose. And it kind of, and, and it kind of all fizzled out after that. They closed the case, and then pretty much... You know, every month or two, I'd get a dumping from the GMC saying we've had these 15 mostly anonymous complaints from various characters, either from Twitter or ex-colleagues I used to work with saying we've had these 15, 20 complaints just to let you know, uh, FYI, this is the content that send you the redacted complaints. Um, And you just just being told that you were getting this flurry of um, complaints about you, about COVID misinformation, conspiracy theories, and all the rest of it. And some of them were quite comical. I was called a dangerous individual. I've been called Harold Shipman 2023 uh, and all the rest of it. And so, you know, they were throwing them out, which is good. But then it kind of got a little bit more nefarious in that, you know, firstly, the cancel culture in my own community. So I've been, you know, I've been, I moved down to Cornwall for the work-life balance. I didn't wake up one morning and say, I tell you what, I'm going to be a crazy anti-vaxxer and conspiracy theorist and commit career suicide. I said what I saw. I had genuinely held and still unrebutted concerns, as previously mentioned, on 
on safety ethics and, and, and evidence-based medicine not being followed. Uh, and for that, I've received a cancellation, blacklisting. I've applied recently for, you know, in Cornwall, we've got a lack of doctors. We've got a massive issue with GPs in particular. Um, I'm an ED trained GP, so I'm kind of dual trained and I teach medical students. I've got background in science. You know, I'm a public scientist, did a degree with quite a heavy weighting in immunology. And we've got some somewhere around 25 jobs out there all the time, you know, consistently. Whenever you look at the website advertising for GP jobs, there's always 25 jobs. So I, I applied for 25 jobs about six, seven months ago, um, and I got three responses. Um, the rest just ignored me. Um, their jobs are still being advertised, by the way. Um, and you know, the three letters that I got back were essentially, you know, we don't employ anti-vaxxers or your views on vaccines don't align with the ethos of our uh, vaccine centre, for example. So it started off like that. And, and you know, even now, I mean, I've been let go from locum surgeries now because I retweeted an Andrew Tate video six months ago. That's a genuine example of why I've just been let go from three weeks worth of work, you know, and I didn't really know who Andrew Tate was. If I'm honest, I must have just seen something on Twitter, retweeted it without doing a full, you know, biography check on the person. Um, and then that, that was enough cause for the GP surgery to let me go. And that was actually a surgery that had massively... Uh, positive feedback from the work that I've done uh, and then the other surgeries then you know putting the phone down on agencies when they mentioned the name Dr Cartland literally putting the phone down on them saying oh and then the, the agency would get back to them and say was that technical was that a technical issue with the line and said no 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 you mean Dr David Cartland from Cornwall oh no no we don't employ anti-vaxxers at our surgery we'd rather not employ a doctor we would we'd rather have no doctor than have him and there's been several examples across the last six months where surgeries have gone without a medic for a whole day than have me who's offered my services to them and you know I've got email confirmation of that so it started off a little bit like that cancellation in my locality I mean cancellation by the the village that I live in you know the the town I live in you know it's literally bizarre because as you mentioned earlier you know outside of Cornwall I'm quite there's a profile there you know people know who I am people recognize me but not in my home village they think I'm a leper and they treat me like a leper, so very odd. And then the, the GMC stuff started a bit more insidiously then with, with the usual suspects on Twitter. So I, I so wait, can, tell Just tell us what the, the GMC, the General Medical Council, there would be many watching not in the UK. So what exactly is that body? What does it do? So the GMC, are their General Medical Council, are there to kind of oversee doctors' conduct, doctors, um, you know, any issues around their ability to practice safely, you know, so clinical negligence, et cetera. So they've got kind of lots of overreach into, into what doctors do. But I mean, the way you complain about a doctor is you can literally go onto an online um, page complete and you can say anything you want. And I've seen this in action. Like literally you can say Dr. Cotton tweeted this. And, and this was what a lot of the complaints were that I was getting. It was about social media activity. Um, but I, I did come across, you know, I, I had the devil in me at some point um, in the past, about seven or eight months ago, and I decided to, um, do a sort of feature on Twitter where I went into some of the TV doctors and I thought I'm going to out some of the outrageous statements that Van Tam, Chris Whitty, Matt Hancock, I did a week of going after the politicians and just quote them, just quoted what they said in their own press conferences and, you know, the next slide please conferences that they were doing. And then I moved on to the TV doctors and I went for Dr. Ranj, Dr. Amir Khan, Dr. Sarah Kayat, Dr. Hilary Jones. And I basically published the biggest whoppers that they'd ever told. You know, like Dr. Rand said, you know, he's had one COVID-19 vaccine and you're 100%, 100%, it's always 100% um, safe and effective of avoiding hospital or going, uh, becoming unwell or dying of COVID-19. That's what he said, or words to that effect. And I just posted it. And that's been taken now by the GMC to be 
um, examples of my bullying. The charges against me at the moment are bullying, incitement of hatred to fellow professionals uh, and online harassment. So they've tried the misinformation, they've tried the mental health, they've tried the conspiracy theories on professional behaviour, social media guidance, and now they've moved on to a, what, what can only be described as a coordinated complaint. I've got evidence of all the complainants collaborating together in chat rooms um, and, you know, making this, a, a, you know, an effort to get me struck off. So as we stand today, you know, I've been, all, all, all of the complainants, for example, have been given the chance to give an oral statement against me. You know, uh, Dr. Range gave a 110-page um, victim statement in inverted commas, and it's—I it, it, mean, it was like reading a fantasy novel. Honestly, I've read it; it's, it's an embarrassment, really, to the GMC. But they've took it seriously on the lines of bullying and harassment. And what have I done? I've posted his—you um, know—this morning interview where he made outrageous claims that misled a lot of people. You know, nothing's 100%. I always say, you know, this cup of tea—it's not 100% safe. I could choke on it. I could drop the cup on my foot. I could drop, you know, the hot liquid on my crotch, you know, and it's not it's not 100% safe, is it? So all of these doctors made the claim of 100% safety. Um, one particular complainant said it was 100% safe to vaccinate pregnant women uh, and then went on to say that the vaccine reduced miscarriage rates and then went on to equally um, tell a, a whopper around what technology was used in the vaccine, saying it was identical to the influenza vaccine without naming names with this particular doctor. But, you know, they've been able to formulate that, my t my retweet of you know their their false claims has, has been labelled as um, what, what did they say in the one complaint I've I've set my anti-vax mob upon them and you know they're all playing the mental health card now saying that because of Dr Carlin they're suffering with their uh, mental health and anxiety and all the rest of it playing the victim beautifully and very strange goings on and to, to me I mean it's a big overreach really GMC are they there to comment on my Twitter feed. You know that that's what it seems to have come down to. But what what, what is the the process? Do you get an email or a letter through to say you need to appear in front of somewhere, or just being told you're under investigation? And you said you were before them. So what input do you have with that? That's that's a really good question. So in all, in all of this, you get kind of you get. I've, I'm infamous at GMC now, so I've got my own complaints <laughs> member of staff. So they, they I've been allocated my own member of staff for the inundation that they've had. But essentially, that person will then update me on the process. So the process has been the three complainants have been given the oral witness statements, um, and you know they've they've gone to town on me really and dug back into my timeline. There's clear collaboration between them. I Meaning, one particular complaint, the GMC have actually helped the complainant go through my Twitter feed and look at interviews to look for examples of alleged transphobia. So there was a period about three months ago where I went in heavy on the you know, strange things that we're seeing in you know, the sexualization of children, sex trafficking. There's, you know, the drag queen story hour that we've had in Cornwall. Some of the videos I was seeing online about inappropriate things going on in front of children. Um, you know, people clad in gimp suits, you know, with kids stroking them. You know, you've probably seen the images, men clad with sex toys all over them, multicolored sex toys, making a complete fool of themselves, really, in front of children. Um, and calling that out, and, and again, charge number eight on the GMC charge list is I've showed hostility towards the LGBTQ community. I've had lots of input from LGBTQ uh, people, show me a lot of support, actually, because they're fed up of it. They're fed up of this kind of leaning into the agenda um, and, and, you know, the overreach of it. You know, this minor attracted persons, the, um, you know, we need to start having sympathy for paedophilia. We need to start, um, you know, looking deep into the psychology, normalising it. And then and then going off on things like, um, you know, the um, 
in schools now. We've got kids in our locality identifying as cats. I mean, how on earth have we ended up at that? You know, when we've got um, people being referred off a puberty blockade at the age of 12 and genital mutilation, that, that to the GMC, though, is evidence of my hostility towards LGBTQ. And they're jumping on anything at the moment. So clearly I've got a target on my head. So none of it has to do necessarily with your medical understanding or ability or uh, giving someone the wrong drugs. It's simply yeah. your views, what's in your head. And uh, it's strange how a tweet can affect how you actually carry out, listen to a patient, diagnosing them. It's their opposites. They're saying it just affects confidence in the profession. So another colleague, I won't mention the name at the moment, is having a case reopened for bringing the profession into disrepute, affecting public confidence with their conspiracy theories in inverted commas. But, I mean, I'll tell you what's happened, just to finish off um, what I meant to say, just about the, the GMC proceedings. So all three complainants got the chance of an oral statement. They've been either to the building in GMC HQ or they've given a Zoom you know, face-to-face. -face. I've not been afforded that privilege. So basically what they've done is clumped all three complaints together into about 600 pages of evidence. And I mean, the evidence is pathetic, simple as that. It's, it's not, it's, it wouldn't, you know, if it was a murder case, it would be thrown out. You know, it's absolutely embarrassing. But all the way through this, I've got a clear evidence of all three complainants colluding inciting against me, getting people to, and they've done it for other doctors like Asim Mahatra, please report this doctor to the GMC. Well, that's incitement, isn't it? And I've got evidence of this. In fact, one of the complainants has been, is a very notorious chap on Twitter. Again, I can't name his name, but, you know, a notorious bully, troll, um, spreader of misinformation, you know, and, and this guy has been bullying me for two years and has had the audacity to accuse me of bullying. I said to the GMC, I've got pages and pages of, information where he's called me Harold Shipman or he's had me arrested or I've been struck off, I'm dangerous, I'm dodgy, I'm unsafe to practice, I'm a liar. I've got all of these screenshots. He's even questioned my mental health publicly, saying I should be sectioned. I'm uh, mentally unstable. He's been speaking to my family and they're all increasingly concerned about my mental health. I've got all this, but can you show it to the GMC? Do they want to see it? No, they don't. And they're certainly not letting me give you know get beyond the administrative system to speak to a decision maker so it's been very much guilty till proven innocent and they backed that up by about a month ago they demanded of me my full you know who I work for as a locum what surgeries which hospitals I work in and they wanted me to go back six months to, to name what surgeries I work at and the reason for that was they wanted to send out a letter before I've even had a chance to give evidence to say um, Dr Cotton has been accused by some high-profile TV doctors of bullying, harassment and online incitement. Um, and that's gone out to every surgery that I've either worked for or currently worked for. And I absolutely begged them not to do that. I said, look, this is clearly a guilty till proven innocent approach to the, the situation. Please let me at least give my chance of you know, defending myself. I mean, to be fair to them, they've been clear in the letter that you know, there isn't, isn't a fitness to practice hearing here. And it's not, you know, they haven't even made a decision on that. They're just collating. So what's the point of sending the letter? I said to them, this is only going to give me financial and reputational damage. Yeah. They still sent it. And since then, the three surgeries have not offered me a single locum shift. So as predicted, they want to wait till the investigation's over. And that's natural, of course. Why would you want to employ a doctor by choice? That you know, It's hard enough for me to get a surgery to take me for half a day when they're absolutely desperate. You know, it's it's such a waste, but can't explain that. Guilty till proven innocent. How long has the process with the GMC, how long has that been going on for? And how long does it, is there a fixed time period? Can they keep it open for indefinitely? What's the process? 
Yeah, that's a great question as well. I don't know. <laughs> They've not been very transparent through the whole the whole time. It's been dang- I've been dangled by a piece of string since, like I say, April two years ago. With various various different you know aspects, like I say, I first found out about investigation um, from a junk email. Um, it's just the communication's been terrible as well. They've not they've not kept me up to date really. They keep telling me they dropped a lot of the charges against me without informing me that they dropped a lot of charges against me. Um, what what GMC like to do as well is they send you emails that are quite you know anxiety inducing about five to five in the evening, and they're all, they're all knocking off at five o'clock. So even in that approach, it's like well. There's method in that. They're doing that on purpose, you know, to send an email at 10 to 5 with, you know, this is the witness statement for Dr. X. Um, And then you're going into the weekend and you can't fight the corner. And, you know, all they've done along in terms of pastoral care, you know, at the end of the day, this is very stressful. You know, I'm going into the next month not knowing if I'm going to be in front of a fitness practice hearing for the crimes of promoting evidence-based practice, ethics and safety. Um, And, you know, I don't know. You know where my next paycheck's coming from. It's just it's bizarre, and 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 all they've done is they've given me a, a Samaritan's number and to contact the BMA twenty four hour helpline. You know, completely separate to, to them. It's, there's been no pastoral support. In fact, there's been no pastoral support at all. I've tried all through the last year to reach out. It's hard enough to do that as a doctor, reaching out to other doctors, and I've ended up you know passed from pillar to post. No one can offer me any support, any help. Um, been, I even went to my own GP. Um, at a time when I was having a lot of stress, I wasn't sleeping. GP essentially, in a nutshell, signed me off work for six months with stress and depression, sent me bucket loads of antidepressants, sleeping tablets, and anxiolytics. And at zero point during that, I've still got the boxes, by the way, I never used them. But the point I was trying to make is not one single doctor or nurse spoke to me in that six months and assessed me and gave me copious amounts of drugs during that time and signed me off. I made a diagnosis, actually, based upon e-consults which is what doctors are doing now. They're not even seeing patients to this day. They're still doing telephone consults, you know, triaging everything out, you know, only seeing on-the-day emergencies. And, and this is what's contributing, in a way, to some, only a small amount of the excess mortality that we're seeing. They're just not seeing patients, hence not diagnosing or processing and doing their job, still hiding behind the, the COVID. Um, I worked at a surgery a few weeks ago, and the doctors are all still masked up. They've got two, three masks on, some of them have gloves on, aprons on, visors, they change between every patient. And, um, and they've had five or six jabs each, these doctors. So we've created this, this bizarre kind of germ, OCD, phobia kind of mentality. I can't explain it. Um, well, it is um, a, maybe four months ago, five months ago, I went to the hospital with one of my kids and I went in and the doctor said, oh, I'm sorry, you obviously need to wear a mask. And I said, oh, I'm exempt. He goes, no, 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 you can't be exempt. I said, yes, I'm exempt. I can show you the government. And he goes, oh, well, it's it's too dangerous. Uh, we will ha- if you refuse to wear a mask, we'll have to have the consultation in the corridor. So we moved out of his room and we were in the corridor of a busy hospital and he carried out the consultation in the corridor because the corridor was safe but his room was not and i thought you don't, you don't even argue when you're with children you just yeah. and this is in 2023 peter isn't it yeah. so, like the insanity continues and now we've got the old uh iris is it iris the variant and they're trying to probably the latest stoking one up, stoking up the fear porn uh the goddess of destruction they've named this one after all chaos or something like that so they're really uh they're working on getting the anxiety levels up and people will fall for it the doctors have fallen for it hook line and sinker 
Absolutely easy meat it's been to, to con the doctors. I mean, how do you explain what happens to you there? You know, you've been taken out to a corridor. It's just insane. You know, if you see a doctor in a mask, I would go and ask to see another doctor. I'd go so far as to say that, you know, it's a it's an instant IQ assessment for me. You know, the data's out there about, you know, it damage, you know, not only is it pointless, you know, I keep trying to explain you've got eyes as well. If you sneeze into somebody's eyes, yeah, you still can contract. So unless you've got goggles on. You, you, doesn't matter what you wear on your face and yeah. you know there are studies that show you know it's dangerous to your blood gas you know you can become hypercapnic hypoxic you know quite swiftly after putting one on I spoke to a lady at my son's um, optician appointment last week and you could see she was struggling to breathe she was speaking and she's and you can see it bellowing out and just like you don't need to put that on it doesn't yeah. work but she, her excuse to me was it just makes the older patients feel safer but it's fraud isn't it it doesn't it doesn't do what it says on the tin but that's just a small cog in this deception, isn't it? Uh, one last question on the GMC and then maybe touch on some of the cases you've seen. What powers do the GMC have? They've got the power to end your career, yeah. They can, wow. uh, so literally, so that, that where we are with my particular case is that they're going to, two people get to decide. One's a lay person, um, and I don't get to speak to these people. I've got, I've, I've got the opportunity to write a written rebuttal, and they turned the sand timer off uh, on, um, 14 days ago. So I've left it for a few days and uh, I've got 14 more days to respond. And then that goes to a decision maker, which is a doctor, a lay person to decide, is it fitness to practice or not? And that's where the fun begins. If it is a fitness to practice and in a, in a kind of, uh, kind of dark way, I hope they do because I hope to air my um, facts and figures to them in public. And I think this is the reason they haven't taken some of the higher profile doctors to fitness to practice because it goes on public record you know, we, we come out with all of our data, we talk about excess mortality, we talk about our clinical experiences, and it all comes out in the open. And I don't think they want that. That's why they go for things like bullying and online harassment and breaking the social media guidance, or you know, there's a new guidance come out on LGBTQ plus now, all you need to do is offend. That's the measure now. You have to leave your faith, for example, at the door. And if the level of being able to report the doctor to the GMC is just merely offending somebody with your view. Um, and again, at that fitness to practice, that literally is what it says on the tin. Are you fit to practice or not? And, you know, we see it now in some of the cases of people being struck off. Um, it's very nefarious. People are, and it's not based on safety. It doesn't seem to be harming patients that brings about the, the charges of being struck off anymore. It can be what, you're offending somebody or you know, your Twitter feed or retweeting an Andrew Tate video, for example, it's just bizarre. I mean, what, what jurisdiction should the GMC have over my private, well, it's not private, public social media? I've got freedom of speech. You know, I'm allowed to have these views in there. They're quite, you know, within their rights to debate me, but I'm two and a half years in now and not a single doctor, no one from the LMC, no one from the GMC, no one from the NHS, the chief medical officer runs away from me down here, uh, the MP runs away from me down here. No one wants to have the conversation and so... We all know what that is, um, but it's just so dark, isn't it? That you know, a good doctor here is not able to work in one of the most underdoctored areas of the of the NHS, and you know, it's only patients that suffer. It's not me. I'm doing okay with my private work, you know. So, you know, it's it's one of those. Um, well, actually, let's touch on that the the private work site on your website. Um, let people know kind of what they can find because this is, I think a way forward and what you're offering is essential um, and exciting that's happening it's sad to see it has to happen but tell us uh, what people is the people in the local area that they can uh, basically connect with you and have a diagnosis 
Yeah, so the service has been set up with a kind of deliberate eye on what the GMC have been up to. So I've kind of called it a kind of off-grid, um, off-matrix kind of uh, medical experience. So I don't know anyone else who's doing it, really. So it's kind of novel in its in its approach. So I've had to be careful what I call it. Obviously, I am a GP. I'm a doctor. So I've, I'm allowed to use those titles. But I've had to kind of draw a line as to what needs to be regulated and what needs to be what, what I can do in an unregulated fashion. So, for example, if I prescribe a drug, that needs to be regulated. You need a GMC license to practice, CQC registration. You now, if I keep patient notes, I need GT, GDPR regulation. So I've had to pitch it, the model, at where I can be unregulated, like a life coach, for example. Mm. So I call what I do health coaching. I call it um, clinical navigation, clinical signposting. I call it health advocacy. Um, and, and that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a, a voice of reason. I'm a medically trained person, um, ex-scientist that, you know, is there for patients to come to and, and, and listen. One of the key things I get is to, as to why people book in with me is that, A, they trust me for standing up against all of this, this nonsense. So it's a trust issue and that trust has been lost. These people are never going to trust doctors ever again. Um, and, and, and they come to me because I value my opinion and I listen. It's a simple case of having an hour. You know, I charge in a very ethical price. You know, um, it's it's far below what, you know, the, the standards for a private GP appointment would be. It's a quarter of that. And I, I sit with the patient for an hour and I listen and I take the history. Um, and even this very morning, I've had three cases of vaccine injured patients that just, they were quite emotional, really, both the, the two younger girls, because they just got heard. They were listened to and acknowledged instead of being gaslit and told it was all in the head and there was absolutely no chance of that. But going back to the service show, it's growing month on month. Um, it's going really well. I, I work from this office. You know, I work every morning, seven days a week, 363 days a year. So accessibility is there. You get the same doctor twice. You actually get a doctor, which is a bonus. And, you know, in general practice, now, if you actually get a doctor, you've, you've struck you've struck gold, haven't you? So, so they're the USPs, really. And, and you'll get an honest opinion. Sometimes I do after direct people back into the NHS to take our blood tests, for example. Um, but, you know, that's what I'm there for. I'm a, a health advocate. And so like one of the patients this morning, you know, I've, I've written a, what I call a kick the doctor up the backside letter to get the doctor to do some basic investigations with a girl that's been having chest pain and palpitations within a week of the vaccine. And they haven't even done an ECG. They've done their blood tests. They've done their referral for 24-hour um, ECG monitoring. They've not done a referral for an echocardiogram. Just basics. You know, we've seen a lot of clinical and criminal negligence now in the patients I see, particularly from the vaccine injury community. So that's what you get in a nutshell. So, yeah, visit com and uh, have a peek. Tell us more about what you're seeing, because I'm assuming that you may see people that have gone to their doctor. Nothing's happening. Uh, the doctor refuses to even consider this could be vaccine injury um, therefore they they come across you and and speak to you uh, but tell us kind of how that's worked and what are the some of the stories that you've heard from patients yeah so the stories are quite classic actually so what i would say from the outset is i've not spoke to a vaccine injured patient that has got the same story so there's different kind of severities of symptoms there's different timelines so some are immediate some are sort of medium term some are slightly longer term um, but the, the one thing that's really consistent with these patients is that temporal relationship to the vaccine. They're in good health, the two patients this morning, in good health, fit and healthy. One was an 18-year-old, and within two days of having the vaccine, and the second patient was within two weeks, having some heart pain, chest, chest discomfort. They then venture off to their doctor, and, you know, every case is the same. The doctor will immediately, as soon as the patient mentions the vaccine word, that's it. 
it's almost like crucifix comes out at that point the room changes the mood changes um the aggression levels of the doctor change you know and they dismiss the patient with immediate effects and just say look this is absolutely 100 nothing to do with the vaccine whatsoever but these are the same doctors if you remember that had you know they were putting down covid19 for every death you know you can have a positive test and get struck by lightning the day after and they put covid19 as a death certificate they're putting the covid19 as um 1a when people have died of cancer you know and it was quite extraordinary but what they're telling these people is either it's in their head the amount of people who've got bizarre symptoms and some people have got some really eclectic strange medically unexplainable symptoms so they come and they've got a bit of this and a bit of that and it doesn't fit into a conventional um diagnosis or um or criteria to diagnose things like ms for example they get you know brain fog with numb left arm with weakness of the right calf and incontinence of urine for example that that doesn't fit into any conventional neurological diagnosis i'm hearing of cases where neurologists are seeing the patients telling them it's absolutely not 100 nothing to do with the vaccine they're not even touching the patient with a tendon hammer they're not examining them and just dismissing them as functional neurological disorder aka they're making it up it's in their head, despite, you know, coming on two days after the vaccine. The latest thing I'm hearing is they're telling vaccine injury patients that it's from long COVID, everything's long COVID. So these doctors who deny a day after the vaccine, somebody, you know, going into fits is anything to do with the vaccine are the same doctors who are saying, oh, actually, it's and the latest one is even more dark, asymptomatic long COVID. So I'll give you a real life example of a 31 year old who I saw about a month ago at surgery who had two AstraZeneca's. After each AstraZeneca, she had a blood clot on her leg, one on each leg. Then they went on to boost her with a Moderna in December this year, just gone. And this was a 31-year-old girl. She had a mini stroke a week later, and then she had a full-blown stroke um, when she had to have surgery, but bilateral stroke, blood clots on the brain. Um, and she was told, and I saw this in the neurological letters, that she'd been. Um, this was from an asymptomatic COVID-19, long COVID infection um, that had caused a stroke. And this was all within a month of her Moderna booster absolutely incredible and then you know I, I tell patients you know it's highly likely but the issue we've got here is really that we can't ever prove it sure. there isn't really a, a way of absolutely proving it we're looking at ways of you know really nailing this correlation causation thing now so there is a way of, of finding out antibodies if you've got antibodies for example to nucleocapsid protein and the s protein you know if you've got both then there's an equal argument that it could have been a covid infection but what we have got now is patients that are just measuring for antibodies for the S protein, which is a spike protein, and not the nucleocapsid protein. So that completely knocks out the part, the possibility that it can be long COVID related because there's no evidence of the nucleocapsid protein. So we need to find that test that really is that eureka moment in helping these patients. And, and you know, a lot of work I do is around spike protein detox. And, you know, we're all, you know, whether you believe in shedding or not, you know, that's up, up for discussion. But, you know, we really need to get detoxifying our bodies and i've really turned myself around in the last eight or nine weeks because i've been vaccinated as you know and it's really messed with me it's messed with my cognition my memory um lots of brain fogs lots of men mental fatigue obviously there's a lot of confounders here about all the stress going on but at the same time you know i felt like i was going into dementia at 41 years of age and really turned it around so anyone who's got any concerns about spike protein obviously not just me don't just contact me i'm not just selling my service there, there are lots of protocols out there now from world council for health um people's health alliance you've got um the flccc i recover protocol my protocol is publicly available on on twitter for free you know it's all about 
detoxification of the spike protein. That's the pathology here. And that's, you know, common across the board. It really was a flawed thing to do, get the body to produce this non-human spike protein through the mRNA. Um, you know, surprise, surprise, it's causing autoimmunity. It's causing cancers. It's causing inflammation in the body. It's causing immune system destruction. It's causing microclotting, endothelial dysfunction. It really is poisonous stuff. Um, so, yeah, anyone, you know, who's had a jab needs to look at, you know, for themselves and for their relatives and loved ones, look how to get rid of this spike protein. Lots of literature out there. Um, yeah, PHN, um, certainly World Health Alliance, a fantastic uh, work. And so what you're basically pointing out is they are providing solutions. Absolutely, yeah. And the, these are grassroots organisations, you know, picking up momentum, you know, with each passing month, you know, both, both of the aforementioned, you know, they're, they're grassroots, they're run by people that are, give a lot of time for free to, to help set up an alternative to the NHS. Um, and, you know, honesty is is at the centre of it all, you know, being open, being honest and you know, not for profit. None of these people are here to make money. They're here to provide a service. And if you go, for example, to the PHA website, you'll see that there's a whole directory of people that can help. It's not just the NHS. It's not you don't have to go with the uh, Stockholm syndrome of going through the primary care system and, um, and being gaslit. You know, go contact people. There's directories of people that are naturopathic is the best way to put it. You know, it doesn't have to be drugs. You know, my, my own protocol has got one medicine on there. The rest is all plant-based, you know, anti-inflammatories, um, supplements, things like that. Things like keto diets, uh, paleoketogenic diet, carnivore diets that can really help get your body detox from anything from spike protein to heavy metals and, you know, all the crap that's in our food. You know, we're, 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 we're toxic people now because it's everywhere. It's in the food chain. It's in the water. It's in the sky. You know, so we're getting, we, you need to detox. 100%. Can I just ask you about doctors? Whenever a patient goes to a doctor, uh, are doctors kind of given information they go by or is it purely in their head? Because obviously when someone comes in, they refuse to accept it's vaccine harm. Is that simply because they're in, I guess, in some ways, the pocket of the pharma industry or because they just are too busy, they haven't looked or because they're following guidance from elsewhere? Bit, bit of everything really i think when i do get to chat to it and i do all the time i get told not to talk about covid in surgeries i make it my business to enlighten the staff that are vaccinating people so i worked in a room last week with the lady who was um, jabbing pregnant moms and kids with the covid vaccine so she was enlightened by me um so what, what i would say is the combination of you know doctors have got egos number one egos and god complexity you know thinking they are you know the the, the powers that be number two they're complicit They've been putting these jabs into people's arms. You know, what's more concerning is people who've been jabbing through the last two and a half years don't even know that it's a novel technology. You completely lose them when you talk about gene therapy um, and immunomodulatory therapy. Um, mRNA, a paramedic last week said, um, what's mRNA? When she'd been jabbing it, she'd been jabbing it into people's arms for the last, you know, two and a half years. And really, that's not acceptable. Um, the only defence I do have, and again, I've been dabbling a little bit back into the NHS the last few months, is that you just run ragged. You start your day at eight o'clock, you finish at six, your half your half time breaks a home visit where you're driving around, particularly in Cornwall, like there's quite distance the homes are from the surgery. And so you're driving with your sandwich in your mouth and your crisps while you're driving around and uh, and you get back and you start again. It's like eat, sleep, repeat, and you, you don't have time. Um, that's my only slight defense is that you run ragged and I think deliberately so. So doctors just haven't got the energy. You know, those days I did 
few weeks ago. I haven't got time to get up and read the Lancet Journal or the RNS data for excess mortality. And it's not a good enough excuse, but, you know, it is a, it's a factor in the equation that needs to be considered that people are run ragged and, and hence they don't know the Pfizer data, you know, the Pfizer documents that I've read cover to cover. These people haven't even heard of the Pfizer documents because they're that frazzled at the end of the day. Um, and then the money, you know, had, it's been a big money maker for, for the whole of primary care hospitals. You know, they've you know, cleared their debts from all of this. So well, I'll never understand why doctors aren't putting two and two together when you've got somebody that in a very short time frame after a, a novel gene therapy, you know, has developed X, Y, and Z symptom, how it can't be in the differential diagnosis at the least. That's just, that's just clinical negligence. You know, it's, you know, the, this, this whole denial of the, the time frame. you know, in these well, healthy young people. I've had some harrowing stories in the last few months of people that have lost legs, lost the use of the legs, um, you know, becoming continent, transverse myelitis, MS cases, uh, turbo cancers, blood clots at the age of 18, uh, all in proximity to the vaccine. All of them have one thing in common. It's absolutely nothing to do with the vaccine, according to their medical professional. It's just not good enough because we have to start helping these people. One thing's for sure, I've never jabbed a single individual. I've not given an mRNA jab to a single human, but I'm the only one seeming, along, along with a small pocket of UK doctors, trying to find answers and solutions. And we work day and night, um, and, we're, and we're the bad boys of the profession, <laughs> working day and night, often for, for nothing, to try and find solutions to what will be looked back on as the biggest crime against humanity. Of, of that, I'm certain. 100% agree with you. Um Dr. David Cortland, I, I really appreciate you coming on, giving us an update on um on what's happening with you and what you're seeing as a as a professional. And I'm assuming the best place is on your Twitter. They can follow what's happening with the GMC and whenever you're coming. I well, as you're going through that process, you'll keep your followers up to date on at Cortland.david. That's the one. There are a few imposters. Uh, nice to be popular, but if you type in David Cortland into Twitter, you'll see there's about 25 versions of me but that that you've got the, the twitter tag right there on the screen so look out for the imposters because they are asking people for money personal details and you try to report to twitter to stop them but no if they put parody in their profile they're allowed to say what they want just it's incredible the amount of bullying i've had peter is just it's incredible and yet i'm in, in the dock for being a bully it's so bittersweet really to accept mm, not completely well yeah at cartland david make sure and get it right nowhere else but there um David, thank you so much for your time today. No, thanks for having me. It's always good to, uh, to share what I'm seeing. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.